Hello. My name's Emily, and this is my special announcement helper. Hopefully, all the announcements are just Dada and Mama, because that's all he knows. Uh, but there's a head, so I'm going to have to do it sideways here. A um, lot of announcements tonight. For those of you who brought uh, donations for the Afghan families, you can put them up at the front table here. For those who are still interested and able um, to provide for those families, you can do so in two ways on our website. Um, one is through monetary donations. The second is by buying stuff. So if that is your spiritual gift, um, running to Target, you can find all of the information on our website at thetablempls.com backslash refugee. Um, and all of the details are on there, including some really important notes about cultural sensitivity to consider with what you purchase. Um, and they can all of the items can be dropped off at Debbie's home at 4517 DuPont Avenue South, just a couple blocks uh, from where we are right now. The second announcement is about men at the table. So on Tuesday, October 19th from 5 to 8 p.m. at Bryant Lake Bowl over in Uptown at Lake and Bryant. Um, you can gather to fellowship with other men, anyone who identifies as male, um, gathering together just for some time to be together. The bowling lanes are reserved specifically for this group um, from 5.30 to 7.30. So there's details on our website, but there's no need to sign up. You can just come and show up and be. Uh, the third announcement is about next Sunday when we will be returning to indoor worship, but we're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, we will be gathering indoors, so masks are required and there will be childcare, but we will be up in, we will not be in the sanctuary. We will be in a, upstairs, in the Harrisville room space. Um, so there will be small group gathering and chatting and some music, um, so it'll be a little bit different programming than normal. Um, and then the last big specific time um, announcement is about the Sacred Sites Tour. So I think a lot of you have heard about this over the years. I know I have. I wasn't able to attend in the past, but I've heard it's a really um, powerful and impactful event that I'm hoping to sign up for myself. It's on October 23rd from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And there are a lot of really good details on the website. The Sacred Sites Tour gives you a lot of information about... Um, the Dakota history in Minnesota um, and walks through specifically <laughs> the oppression. That's not funny, Patty. That's not funny. The oppression and genocide they faced in this context of the physical spaces um, on, our, on this land. <laughs> you do need to sign up, and there is still time to sign up. So, again, that's October 23rd. Um, for those who want to stay in the know on all of these events and get a weekly reminder about service, please sign up. You can text the word TABLE to 33222, and you can opt in for those messages. And very lastly, um, we appreciate everyone's generosity to help keep us running. Um, and if you are so inclined, you can continue to give either with donations directly at the box up at the front or on our site where you can make a one-time donation or you can become a recurring giver. And so that is on the giving tab of our website. Again, that's tablempls.com, thetablempls.com. All right. All right. Nice job, Emily. Nice job, Patton. That was awesome. I actually expected to pause there for a longer applause, but it's, it's fine. It was good. How are we doing tonight? We good? 
Yeah, you look good. Any marathon runners out there? Heather, do you want to stand and bask in your glory just for a brief moment? Unbelievable. I don't know how you do it. The 10K. Is it 10K? 10 mile. That's different than 10K. Congratulations. I have never done that at all. I do not have the body for that sort of thing. The closest I've come to a marathon is I watched a lot of Lord of the Rings the other night. That's about, though, as close as I got to actually partaking in a marathon. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. We are thrilled that you are with us as we take our next step forward in our series. Sorry, I know some people cringe at the idea of series. It can feel a little markety, and that's not our intention. But on the flip side, it has actually been really good to have consistent conversations where they're building one thing after another and we're setting some things in stone. And so we are in this series called This Is Us, where we are setting out to talk about who we are, naming uh, core values um, that we cling to, that we are claimed by. And tonight we're going to talk about how one of our values is that we are unapologetically human. We are cracked and flawed and loved all the same. It's our way of saying that we have really no idea what we're doing and we are perfectly okay with that. Our chaos, our messiness. I mean, sometimes in the middle of the service, we have like wedding rehearsals that will just break out to help us remember that like we're just, this is messy. I understand that some people, you know, they go to church to escape the realities of life, but we come to church to reclaim our humanity and to remember that when God made human beings, God said that it is good and it's good to be human, and it's good to be flawed and messy because that's where the spirit is always at work. And so that's what we are. And I don't think it takes very long for you to stick around this community to recognize that that's who we are. Like, we're just messy. We believe that transparency precedes transformation. We believe that um, honesty is indeed always the best policy, even if that's hard to do sometimes in a church context, because it is, right? Sometimes in, in this context more than other contexts, it is hard to be honest. It is hard to make space for the questions that we're carrying within. It's hard to name the doubts. It's hard to name the ambiguities. It's hard to say out loud that I do not know. I really have no idea, but I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying. It took me a while to learn that. Can I share with you an embarrassing moment? Uh, longer than a moment, really. When I first started getting into this gig many a years ago, when I was just a wee young lad and not the aged body of wisdom before you today, true story, I actually found some gray hairs in my beard that I'm rather concerned about at the moment, but Andrea told me that it's red, not gray, and so we're going to be okay. When I was just getting started at this, though, when I was being asked to step on a stage and talk about things that I wasn't fully sure about, it, but to talk about it in a compelling and convincing way, and perhaps, if I could, try to mix in a PowerPoint with some key takeaways, one of the first invitations to speak was to step on a stage at an old church and, and speak on the subject of prayer. And so I did just that. I went up on the stage, and I talked about prayer, and in doing so... I used as an illustration this poll that had recently come out at that time, and the poll was this. The poll said, if you could meet and have a conversation with one person in history, who would that person be? And the answer that most non-religious people came up with, to my surprise, was Jesus. But even more surprising, the answer that most Christians came up with was Jesus. 
And so I used that little nugget inside of that sermon. It takes a long time to learn how to do this kind of sermonic uh, maneuverings, but stay with me. I used that poll, and I said, and Christians, they collectively decided that if they could go back in time and meet one particular person, it would be Jesus. And how tragic is that? Most Christians are longing for conversations that they could already be having with Jesus today. If you would just log off social media once in a while and connect with your Savior, you would know this, but you don't. And it was as cringy as you feel it to be right now. And yet, when I said it at that time, you could have heard pins dropping in the room. True story, it landed like really well. It was somehow like this compelling moment for people. They were eating it up, and so far be it for me to stop dishing it up. I went on to pontificate about um, how in prayer we have unmediated and unmitigated access to God and, and how the phone lines with the divine have forever been cracked wide open and how God is the ultimate extrovert longing for communion and connection with you. And when all was said and done and I stepped off of that stage, the Yelp reviews were, were fantastic. I got an all caps email from a lady named Sue who just said, like, wonderful, the future is bright. Uh, I had a hearty pat on the back from some church elder that was sitting um, off in my corner the whole time, a few winks from strangers in the lobby, and I had this, like, awkward fist bump from somebody that I did not know, but I definitely responded with the fist back in kind. I felt really good about what I did on the stage that morning, but I felt less good when I went to Subway after church. Because when I got to Subway, I was there with my friend named Jared, and I asked Jared, who was with me at the church earlier, I said, Jared, what do you think? You haven't said anything yet. You haven't given me the hearty pat on the back. Not even a fist pump from you, Jared. What did you think? And he goes, yeah, it was, it was a sermon. I said, come again? You want to say anything else? What do you mean it was a sermon? I said, like, he goes, well, you know, I just, um, I get where you are going with it. But if I'm honest with you, I didn't love it. I actually felt like it was kind of harmful. He goes, if you're really going to push me on it, and I wasn't pushing him on it, I actually feel like you kind of lacked a lot of integrity on that stage. And I said, please, go on, say more. And he did. He said, when you talk about prayer, Matt, you talk like you actually are having these flowing conversations with God, and God is speaking back in non-ambiguous words. And I just don't think you nor anybody actually ever has that. You don't banter with the divine the way you and I are bantering over this Subway sandwich right now. You know that's not how it works. How even on your best days of prayer and devotion, God is still ambiguously moving in your midst, saying things that you're not really sure if it's God or your stomach, and it's hard to differentiate between the two. And so, no, I, I, I get what you were going after, but I just don't think it was cool. I don't think it was an integrous move to make. And I don't like that you use that poll as a means of belittling what people are longing for in service to what you are lying about. We didn't, we didn't talk a lot after that moment. Because what was I really to say? You know, when I went back into my sermon notes, I was looking at it again. And honestly, from a biblical orthodox perspective, my points were fact-checked and they passed through just fine. I didn't see any glaring errors. I don't think that I said anything wrong. And yet I knew that what Jared had told me that day was right. Prayer didn't then and prayer doesn't now make a lot of sense for me. It, it's not an easy thing for me to do. In fact, it can actually even be a um, problematic thing. 
Sometimes when I sit down in prayer, it reinforces my own anxieties and insecurities that I am holding my faith as a crutch and that nobody's on the other end of the phone. Sometimes it feels like I'm the kid after school waiting for dad to pick me up and dad has something else to do. Like God is the absentee father who sends postcards from wherever God is, but not much else. And so when Jared said what Jared was saying over that sub at lunch, he wasn't telling me anything that I didn't already know. He was just telling me some things that I hadn't wanted to name. Because Jared, if I were to say those things out loud, what else would be said out loud? That my undergrad in biblical biblical and theological studies was a waste of time? That getting my master's in theology, that that was pointless? that my career is based on a lie? And if I don't do this, what else can I do? Jared, what, what is the play? What else, what else is there to do but to say what I said? And furthermore, what would people do if I said what I said? Would Sue still email me? Would the elders still want to slap my back? Would the fist pumps and the winks still be there? Would I be seen by those who love me still as a fellow person or would I be seen as a problem instead? A broken branch in the family tree. All of those questions, they don't have any clear, clean-cut answers attached, and they really were overwhelming when I started to entertain them. And so, Jerry, don't mind me if I get my dancing shoes back on, step onto the stage, and start moving to the beat of a song that I did not know, nor really ever understood. That was some time ago now, but every year, every day, every week, every moment that I continue on in this faith journey, I'm realizing more and more and convinced more and more how that's just not how it's supposed to work. The faith that we claim is a faith that was at its very start about centering our lives on the incarnation, but somehow over time it became about arranging our minds around information. The word became flesh, and we in response turned that flesh back into words. What started with a body got belittled into beliefs, and in doing so, we became convinced that when we talk about our faith, We should say what we believe we should say, instead of what we're already saying within, but we never have the courage to say out loud. You know that, right? I mean, like when we talk about things of this nature, you understand that I'm not trying to go out of my way to ruffle any feathers or push any buttons or get you to question your faith. I don't want to do that. We got a church we're trying to run here. We're going to need some Christians to do it. That's not my intention. I am not trying to get you to question your faith, but I do want to give you permission to accept the reality that you already are and that that is okay because you are humans, finite, fragile, seeing through a glass dimly lit. And so if you get nothing else from me tonight, please get this, that against the psychic oppression of a Christianity that would prefer to keep us dishonest and quiet and afraid, I want to announce the good news tonight that the God who exists, the God whom I believe in, this God never calls anybody to dress up before showing up, to play act or pretend, to suppress their questions in support of a party line. If we think that we are a people of faith because we faithfully protect ourselves from asking out loud what we're already asking inside, then I would argue that we just don't have faith in God at all. We actually have faith in our own faith rather than the God who transcends it. And perhaps most dangerously and most antithetically to living as healthy, integrated people, if we think that our bravado and airtight certainties that we speak on Sunday is the primary driver to our spiritual success, then our, our honesty will become the primary obstacle 
that stands in our way. Just like it used to stand in Peter's way. Peter's kind of like the archetypal figure that I always think about when I go to this conversation because so often he gets caught with running his mouth about things he doesn't know about and he should probably just be quiet instead. We saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration where he sees Moses and Jesus and Elijah and he starts going, it's good for us to be out here. I'm going to build some huts and celebrate this moment, this sacred ground that let me just do something and go the extra mile. And God puts a cloud over Peter's head as if to say, stop running your mouth. Later on, Peter gets after Jesus for Jesus running his mouth and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. So stop talking. And then we see it in one of the moments that uh, we remember every week here at the table. We remember that table when Jesus is having his final supper with his boys and the wine is being poured and the little bread that's left is being lifted. And Jesus, at one point, he squares his shoulders to face Peter and he tells him, you know what, Peter, sometime soon, within the next few hours, things are going to take a turn for the worse. And when they do, you're going to fall. You're going to be a mess. You're not going to be reflecting the thing that you want us all to see. It's not going to be as pretty as you want to always present us that you are. And immediately, if you read the text, anxious Peter starts peacocking in that moment. He stands up with his chest puffed up, and he says in his like most dramatic like brave heart kind of way. He goes, even if I have to die with you, I will never, ever disown you. And as he says this, I always imagine just Jesus watching Peter and just kind of smiling and saying, okay, little guy, settle down. I know that you think that's true, and I think it's actually adorable that you think it's true, but will the real Simon Peter please stand up? Because that is not who you are as a person. You right now are in the middle of a performance. You are playing by the rules of a system that rewards bravado, irrational confidence, even if it's divorced from the reality at hand. Peter, take a seat, because you are screaming not to express what's actually true, but to completely avoid the truth. You're terrified that this really might be it, that the past few years with Jesus, that they all were a waste that all of this pain, it really is as palpable as we fear it to be. And instead of actually being present to the pain that you are carrying, present to the wound that you are walking with, you chose to give a performance instead. And I've done it, have you? Have you tried to outperform the pain that you are carrying? Tried to put gloss and lipstick on a pig? I mean, it's one of the reasons why I say this often, but I've heard Men in my life, my whole life, always say how stressed they are, but rarely say that they are scared. You and I, we are products of a Peter-like place where we are chronically allergic to every kind of weakness, chronically allergic to putting any kind of deficiency of ours on display for others to see. We don't know how to say that we don't know how. We don't know how to ask for help. We don't know how to acknowledge that we're falling short, that we don't have it all figured out, and we're not one TED Talk away from having it all figured out. And what we do to ourselves, we turn around and we impose it upon others. We make sure that the weakness that we live with, doesn't, it isn't also the weakness that we have to look at. And so this is why we put, you know, Botox on our face, and the elderly in nursing homes, dye in our hair, and the disabled in institutions, 
The code of conduct that we've all agreed to is that no matter what happens to you or what is happening in you, you will always look fine, feel fine, are fine. We are fine because to admit that we aren't is to admit who we are. Not fine, but finite. Not fierce, but fragile. Not heroic, but human beings. And try as hard as you like to outrun this conclusion. Trust me, I've tried. Eventually, you do get caught. Because as somebody in my AA group reminded me last night, everywhere you go, there you are. You might sound like Peter with his chest puffed out at a dinner in hopes of hiding all of your fear, but wait a few hours and you'll be out by that fire where a little girl will start asking you just a few simple questions and all of a sudden, all of your, even if I have to dies and I will never disown yous, they all start to grow paper thin. The rooster starts to crow the puppet strings start to snap. That's what happens to Peter. I want to encourage you as you go home not just to read his story. That's what happens to Peter. The bird starts to get loud. The mask comes off. Jesus is lynched. And Peter has to go on, even as he has no idea how to just turn it all off. Peter goes home. And he goes back to his hometown. And he tries to get back his job fishing. Goes out on the boat. He's got his boys with him. And he's trying to return to normal and pretend like the past few years were all just a bad dream that he's going to shake off and move on with his life. But then love shows up on the store and says, friends, is that you? Jesus, the one who died, has undied and is standing there on the beach. And he calls to them from the boat and says, come in. Now, we don't have a lot of information on what happened when they had that breakfast. Uh, the details of the conversations that were exchanged over the tilapia are missing in time. But we do know that at the tail end of it, at some point, Jesus stands up and he puts his hands on Peter's back and he asks him to go for a walk where they find a quiet place just to talk, to try to name some things that hadn't been named yet. And Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, stop. That's new. By and large, Jesus up until this point had ceased from calling him Simon, son of John, and had insisted on dubbing him as Peter, the rock, but not here. In this moment, he calls him by his name that his parents first called him. It's the name that Simon inherited before he fell for the lie that there's a name that you need to earn. It's the name that was spoken with celebratory tones just because he arrived, before he believed that he needed to postpone any celebration till the aftermath of his production. Jesus calls him Simon to remind him that he doesn't really need to ready a script right now, but it's safe enough for him to be fully seen. He is setting the stage for Peter's reality, what's actually in him, to be fully revealed. And that's how God works, isn't it? I mean, as much as the truth is that everywhere you go, there you are, I also would add to it is that everywhere you go, there Christ is. Always calling the real you to please stand up. Please come forward. Bring your body and your truth out of the blur and into something real. There's no time for pretense. You don't have to fake it. Take a deep breath and let who you are actually come on out. God is with you to empower you, edify you, and equip you to live fully free, but God will not enable you to be a fraud. God will not bless who you pretend to be because God is always trying to bring you into who you already are. And so we have this moment here over breakfast where Jesus is trying to bring Peter into who he already is. And he asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, a question. Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
It's always interesting to me in that moment right there where you have Jesus, the one who just defeated the sting of death, approaching in such a weak way. I mean, if somebody just abandoned me, like Peter had just abandoned Jesus, I probably wouldn't like go up to him and say, do you love me? I'd say like, what's wrong with you? How dare you? Are you ready to admit that you made your errors and you're ready to correct course now? Are you ready to join an accountability book, accountability group? Will you be better from this? Like, what guarantee do we have in, like, maintaining a healthy relationship from this point forward? But Jesus doesn't come at him in strength. Jesus approaches him in weakness. Jesus asks Peter if Peter loves him. And when he does so, he says, do you agape me? Which is the kind of love that is the unconditional, no matter what, I will never forsake you kind of love. Do you agape me? Jesus asks. And this time, Peter... He looks up at Jesus, and then he looks down at his feet, and his chest is no longer puffed back out, and he just says, Lord, I filios you. And filios is not agape. He says, uh, I know you asked if I agape you, but I filios you. Filios is the kind of love that is friendship, love, brotherly love. It's not the unconditional at all costs, I'll do whatever it takes to be by your side forever and ever kind of love. He says, I filios you. I know that you're asking for an agape in me, but if I'm honest with you, and I need to be honest with you because I cannot be trapped by these lies anymore, I filios you. It's the most I can offer you in this moment, and that's my truth. And Jesus asks the question again. He says, Simon, son of John, Peter, do you agape me? That always tripped me up. I used to wonder, like, why does he go for the same question twice? He already got his answer the first time around. But when you think about it in real time, suddenly it makes sense because it's one thing to speak your truth, but it's another thing to actually stand in it, to hold on to your belief, to hold on to your conviction, to stay the course on what you know is true, even if you don't get the outside validation that says, yes. And the hands clapping that affirm that you're on the right track. To hold your ground, even if it doesn't sound or look like something that you should be doing. And so Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter, in response, he says, I feel you. And Jesus sizes him up here. And you think the conversation will move on. The question has been asked, the answer has been given. But then Jesus asks it a third time. But the third time around, in the aftermath of Peter saying, this is who I am, this is the most that I can offer right now, do you want a hero or a human? Do you want honesty or something plastic? Jesus says, Peter, do you filios me? And Peter says, yes, I filios you. The faith that God requires of us, the faith that God asks of us, is not the kind that dances to songs that we do not know. It's the kind that steps before the presence of family, friends, strangers, and the divine, and says, here I am, doing the best I can with what I have and what I know, and this is all I can offer right now. Don't have it all figured out. Don't have the full picture. I'm a mess. More questions than answers. I'm tired of pretending to be something that I clearly am not. The faith that God is asking of us, the faith that God asked of Peter, is to participate in his life as a person. 
and leave this presentation like a puppet. God cannot bless, God will not bless who you pretend to be. God loves who you are too much. And so that's a core value for us here, is we do believe that transparency precedes transformation. We're committed to being unapologetically human because that's what the Christ asks of us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you are good. You are gracious. You meet us where we're at, even if it's not always where you want us to be. Spirit, we recognize that you move in all things and in powerful ways. God, give us the courage to leave these systems, God, that insist on us being who we never actually were, to remember that we are Simon, son of John, just children who inherited your love. We did not earn your love. We inherited your love, and that's enough. Help us, God, to have the courage to come to you as we already are and leave the costumes at home. In Christ's name, we pray all of these things together. Amen. Hello, amen. One of the things I love most about this table community is that um, there's no performance necessary when we show up here, that this is a space that we can come and be together and come in all our beautiful and broken humanity. And I feel that most certainly in this moment of communion that we share each and every Sunday night. It's in that sacred space where we are seen and known and fully loved, that agape love that Matt was talking about. And there's this freedom when we come forward and we're transparent and we're honest, it frees us. It frees us to know our belovedness to know our God. It frees us to love one another. On the night before Jesus died, he took bread. He broke that bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. He took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. This is good news. A new covenant drink from this cup remember me and that's what we do you guys when you open that lid on your juice and you take that bread out and you get ready to dip it into that cup you remember that you are loved as you are where you are in all your full humanity so as you take that bread hear these words body of Christ broken for you. And as you take that juice, hear these words, the blood of Christ shed for you. And as we do that together, we come just as we are. We come honest and beautiful and broken and messy. And we can know that we are loved. So please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. worship together. We, um, I don't want to bore you with another sports story, but for those of you who've been plugged into the sports scene locally, um, there's been some chaos on the Timberwolves side of things, and last week we had training camp starting up, and we had this moment after one of the practices where in the aftermath of different decisions being made and pieces being put into place, there was so much conversation about what needs to happen next, what the best pragmatic thing is to do. Now, all important and good conversations. But then one of the players said, can we name the things that happened, though? Can we not carry some of this stuff inside that we're not allowed to talk about anymore, but actually get it out in the open? And somebody on the other side of the room said, that's what progress is gonna look like. Honesty really is always the best policy. This community was born out of that. We're gonna show up and say what we need to say. And we're not trying to step on toes. We're trying to come together as a people and we will continue to do that until we cease. And so friends, as we take on that practice and that core conviction, is this really awkward looking, this little mic maneuvering right now, or is it okay? Because it feels uncomfortable. I'm going to set you down. I love you. It's not personal, I promise. Receive this benediction that we have for you tonight before you go on your way. If you would close your eyes and hold out your hands, friends, no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed, know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you, as you are, are a beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Go in peace. We love you. We'll see you next week.